Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. (laughs) I'll be sitting down with some phenomenal women to discuss love. I believe we grew distant out of love of some type. Like, I don't want to hurt you. Loss. Really don't know what's going to trigger that feeling of grief in any moment. And a topic very important to my work, self-care. I'm holding on to this self-care with every ounce of me. (laughs) Join us as we journey through sharing together. A lot of these conversations are pretty private and these women are courageous and vulnerable and transparent and that alone shows us that we're not alone in our struggle. This week's guest is designer, writer, artist, Denisio Truitt. I have known Denicio, wow, I've known Denicio for about six years. Denicio's story is phenomenal because she literally has transformed since I've known her. I wanted to talk to Denicio about her journey through entrepreneurship, her journey through one marriage, through a divorce, and then remarrying the love of her life and relocating to New Orleans. I also wanted to talk to her about being a queer black woman in a heterosexual interracial relationship. I think there's more women in the world like Denicio than we know. I pray that people find a Denisio because she is a magical woman and I'm honored to call her my sister friend. This is Denisio's story. Hey girl, are you there? Hey girl. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So we're really not sitting down together in the studio. (laughs) You're in New Orleans and I'm here in D.C. How are things in NOLA? Things are pretty good. You know, busy as usual, but good busy. So just trying to stay on that grind. No, yeah, I feel you. So (laughs) I'm just going to jump right in because your story as a woman is just impeccably moving. I want to just kind of give the people a rundown of like how we met from your account and (laughs) kind of like the shape-shifting point in our friendship. So let's start there. Okay. Hmm. Well, I believe the year was uh, 2012. That's so crazy. (laughs) It's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) I think we pretty much just met via social media. I was working on an event and I think a friend of a friend asked you to help us with promotion for said event. Yeah. And yeah. And then I think we went to lunch shortly after that um, at Busboys. And then we fell in love. And then we just fell in love and we just hit it off. It was just like, oh, wait, like we're supposed to be really good friends. Forever. Yeah. (laughs) It was just it was a really natural friendship that happened, I think. And it just there was like this comfort kind of between us that, you know, just felt very organic and non-forced. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what it was. Like I just, yeah. And I was in school at the time. Time too, so I would yeah. come and crash on your couch almost every day, like in between school, um, yep. and just like <laughs> eat food and like snuggle with Chloe, your dog at the time, and like it was just a good time. Um, yeah, it was. We, we spent a lot of time together. So during during that period of time, I don't really recall, but were you still working a regular nine to five or had you dived in, dove in, dived? 
<laughs> dived, dove, dove. whatever. <laughs> had you know, had jumped in, <laughs> had you jumped into your entrepreneurship yet? I hadn't quite yet. I was working with a friend of mine on a vintage right. venture, right. Um, but I was still working full time at GW, uh, George Washington University and their fundraising department. So I definitely still had the nine to five, was still a part of the cubicle nation, <sighs> was definitely, you know, tired of it. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yep. And, you know, just kind of feeling complacent and just stuck and afraid of like taking that next step. Um, so yeah, I think when I met you, it was kind of like, here's this person like doing the things that I, you know, that I want to be doing in terms of just like, you know, working for yourself and kind of putting your work out there. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really inspiring because I'd always been the, you know, the creative person out of my friend group. So I didn't really have somebody to talk to about things like that. And I think that's what kind of made our friendship very special was just the ability to kind of talk about our creative endeavors and process, you know, for that. Yeah. Can can you Um, give, I agree with that completely. mm -hmm. Um, That's, that, that's kind of what I recall too. Can you give the listeners some background on your creativeness and maybe like, I think you were, weren't you a fine art major in college? Like, can you give us some info on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I studied uh, studio art and English with a concentration in creative writing. So Mm -hmm. I've basically been writing and doing art like as far as I can remember. I learned how to sew at a fairly early age. My grandmother was actually a seamstress and had like her own boutique in Liberia. My mom's family is originally from West Africa. Mm -hmm. And so my mom sews as well. And so growing up, like you know, I'd always like kind of go into my mother's closets and like find old clothes she didn't wear and like cut them up and try to make outfits out of them and stuff. And, you know, she wasn't too much of a fan of that. Um, (laughs) Some of the clothes were actually brand new. But um, (laughs) yeah, as far as I can remember, like I've always just been interested in creating and expressing myself through my creativity, whether it's my writing or artwork or clothing. So, yeah, doing the artwork thing and, you know, writing in college. And when I graduated, I started getting a little bit more into, like, designing clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually started out, funnily enough, with making dolls and making clothes for the dolls. (laughs) I remember you telling me that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I had, like, kind of a little fine arts company that I had started, you know, just trying to get my artwork out there um, with not too much success. And so the idea came to me of you know, potentially selling my artwork on t-shirts. And maybe that would be kind of a, an easier avenue for me to like kind of sell my artwork without, you know, the big artwork price, you right, know, right. like a $30 t-shirt versus like a, you know, $500,000 painting. Right. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how Dope Society started. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just, jump into yeah. that and into that. <laughs> so Dope Society is your brand. So what I remember most about Dope Society is I remember coming upstairs at your old house and you were showing me how you were creating your masks that are on the shirt that are on yeah. your most popular shirt. And <laughs> I was floored. Like, how is this even real life. So let's fast forward from GW and mm-hmm. jump into when you decided you were going to work for yourself and how Dope Society really kind of came about in the midst of a divorce you were going through. Yeah. So that was, it's crazy to think because when I, I think a couple of days ago, I actually thought back to that time period, Alex, yeah. and I realized 
that all of that happened in the same year. Yeah. Like I'm thinking this happened in like multiple years and like I thought of dope side and then I quit my, like it all happened in like a span of a few months. It happened really fast. Really fast. So I had started dope society in May, I think, I believe May, April or May of uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, I quit my job in July of 2013, mm-hmm. uh, a few months afterwards. And it had been a long time coming. I had been in the jo- same job for seven years, seven or eight years, mm-hmm. same place mm-hmm. um, every single day. And it really wasn't, it wasn't a thought out plan. It was kind of this, just this feeling that I had had enough and that I couldn't keep waking up crying before I go to work every day because I didn't want to, you know, be in that space right. and be doing this stuff. Right. I'd always just in the back of my mind had this just incessant need to create and to like express myself through creativity and to like make art and it never went away. And so I quit my job, which at the time I was married and to somebody else, mm-hmm. not my current husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He wasn't really with it, you know, and but it was still a decision that I had to make and I knew I had to do it. And I was glad I did, even though it was very hard. I didn't really have much to fall back on and, you know, other than Dope Society, which was just this fledgling company that was yeah. just starting. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard. And yeah, about a few months after that, I decided to get a divorce. <laughs> yeah. So I remember that time really yeah. vividly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I think we had been friends for about a year up at that point and I remember your ex-husband like really not being here for your creative endeavors and also just really not being nice to you and I kind of want to talk about that just sure. just how you worked and walked through that at such a pivotal time in your life as far as quitting mm-hmm. your job and really diving into your creativity and then having your marriage crumble beneath you yeah and I also want to talk a little bit about the emotional side of that as far as the emotional abuse that went along with with what what you were dealing with while trying to be a creative person with the marriage I think if I'm very honest with myself the marriage had been crumbling for a long time yeah and it was again it was much like you know staying at the same job for so long it was this fear of the unknown and this fear of like having to re-identify myself or start over again, that mm-hmm. was more frightening to me than staying in this very extremely dysfunctional relationship. I think we were both very young when we got married and we were both very, you know, creative and artistic. And I think that that was the person that I fell in love with. And as we grew together, I think we became very different people, yeah. um, him more so than me. Mm-hmm. I think in a in a sense, because I kind of stuck to that like artistic side of me and like wanting to work for myself and wanting to make art and I never really let go of that. Right. I think in his mind, he was hoping that that would be some sort of phase. Right. Because I met him when I was like 19 years old. Right. You know, practically a baby. And I think for him, it was always he would always refer to dope society when I started and even before that, my other you know, artistic and business ventures as mm-hmm. hobbies, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. he would just always be like, well, it's a hobby. It's a hobby. It's a hobby because you're not making money. It's a hobby because you'll never be able to make money from this. You don't have the discipline for it. You can't do this. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And the more I think about it, I, I don't want to say that necessarily he was jealous, but I think there was maybe some sort of subconscious kind of like envy of like me 
still holding on to this creative side where whereas he kind of took a different path and went the more corporate route. Right. So I do think there was some of that in 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 play, like a little bit of like envy. I think also he was a very broken person, yeah. and I, which is okay because I'm a very broken person, but he wasn't ready to admit that brokenness mm-hmm. or to acknowledge it or mm-hmm. to, you know, do something about it. Right. And so I think that just leads to a lot of resentment, you know, and a lot of anger. And I think it just reached this point. And I think you remember <laughs> this night because that was just, I mean, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And at the same time, like the best decision I ever made, which was that night that we had a pretty big fight and I kind of looked at him and just realized at that point that like he had fallen out of love with me and I, in the same thing Mm -hmm. and just seeing like this look of like contempt on his face for me and just realizing that you're never going to understand me. You don't get me. And this is not going to work. And I think it was actually just dope society and the decision to do that full time and the decision to like kind of, well, not kind of quit my job. Right. Was like the, almost like the catalyst for just this like series of events that was just pushing me towards like what I needed to do and where I needed to be. Yeah. And so while it was like the most painful thing to go through, it was so necessary for my growth and just... I don't know. It just it it made me so much stronger, you know. It felt it felt big at the time. Yeah. But I didn't I never realized like how big it was and how my life would just change over the, you know, past 2 years. I know. I remember that day. <laughs> I remember that day and Yeah. I remember those weeks after that day. Oh my gosh. And I remember <laughs> watching you like wilt and then bloom again all of a sudden and I'm like yeah. oh she's back <laughs> and it was, it was so, a lot of wilting oh my gosh lot. it was but it was so <laughs> admirable that you didn't just cave yeah. in and give up and we've had conversations you know mm-hmm. multiple times about how we both are trying to navigate this life and it's just extremely admirable that you are where you are now you know, because that was I remember the, that time in your life and just being there with you and like yes, trying to yes. love on you as much as I could. And there were days where you were just like, I'm going to be at home by myself all day. Yeah. And like having to honor that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really proud of you that you've that, that you've worked you've worked through that. And because so many women like we feel like we're alone in our struggle and we've talked about mm-hmm. this before and. You and I and all the other women that I'm sitting down with are proof that we're never alone in our struggle and that yeah. there's always a rainbow after the rain, even if it rains for like months. <laughs> right, right. There is no better time to take your fitness to the next level. And every bit of motivation counts. Like a sweet pair of London's most popular Sweaty Betty power leggings. Make any move you want knowing that your leggings have got your backside. For over 20 years, Sweaty Betty's five-star rated power leggings have helped women crush their workouts. Because no other athletic brand can compete with the Sweaty Betty power leggings. Expertly placed seam and squat tested compression fabric that physically gives your booty instant 
peach emoji status. Quick drying and pocket equipped, these leggings are high-waisted performers. Take their quiz at sweatybetty.com to find your perfect style and choose from a wide selection of strategically cut patterns. I love these Sweaty Betty leggings because they are high-waisted. They hold everything in place. I can rollerblade in them. I can hula hoop in them. I can do yoga in them. And I adore them. So I wear Sweaty Betty and maybe you should consider wearing them too. Now through November 1st, get 20% off of your entire purchase when you visit sweatybetty.com slash heygirl. This is the best offer Sweaty Betty has available anywhere because you deserve to look amazing before, during, and after your workout. Get 20% off your entire purchase at sweatybetty.com slash heygirl. Only until November 1st, spelled S-W-E-A-T-Y-B-E-T-T-Y dot com slash heygirl. I recently started wearing a new bra by Third Love, and I absolutely adore it. Did you know that breast shape matters when you're finding a good fit? I didn't. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I found the Fit Finder quiz really helpful when I was picking out my third love bra. I didn't know I was wearing the wrong size for so long. I think what's really awesome about this is that over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date, and it's actually a pretty fun experience. I answered a few simple questions and I found my perfect fit in about 60 seconds. Third Love offers more than 70 sizes, which is more sizes than most other brands, including their signature half cup sizes. Not only that, but Third Love is convenient. You can skip the trip to the mall, find your fit with their online fit finder, order, try it on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. What really sold me on Third Love was the 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Fit stylists are available every day to help via text, chat, or phone. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. What's not to love? Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering Hey Girl listeners 15% off of your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash heygirl to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash heygirl for 15% off today. So I want to talk about next, like after the divorce, your healing and like what what you did to find peace. And I know that Buddhism played a part in that. I remember that. It did. (laughs) Um, How did you bloom again? Like, how did you find your self-care through loss? It, It was a combination of things. It was it was kind of realizing the times that I needed to kind of be by myself and working through that, the times that I needed to go to therapy, which therapy was fantastic. And I absolutely recommend therapy to everyone. Like I think everybody should seek out a therapist and there's just such a variety of, you know, therapies. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to look like one way. Right. Right. I think that helped me a lot. Just being able to talk about the trauma of the divorce, but also talking about the trauma of other things that, you know, led me to be with this person for so long right. and led me to be, feel like I needed to like be attached to, you know, 
this person or other people who were very similar. Right. You know, right. I think also realizing the times when it was necessary to kind of just be with friends like you, especially, I, I don't think I would have been able to get through it without you, to be honest, because, you know, you allowed me to sit there and cry and just not even say anything, but just let me bawl or, Good old you know, boo-hoo, be, we all need it. <laughs> <laughs> or be angry and just like, you know, cursing this dude out and just like, you know, you, you allowed me space to do that with you. And also you would constantly tell me that I was going to get through this and reminding me of how strong I was, even when I felt like just not strong at all. And just like two cents away from (laughs) being on the street, like just you really, we both, I mean, that's what we do for each other. I feel like, I feel like that is, that's totally our relationship. Like I lean on you, you lean on me. And I remember, um, when you moved to new Orleans and I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. What am I gonna do? Because <laughs> I was with you all the time. I'm like, okay, so how am I gonna like transition through this and like be happy for her that she found love again and that yeah. she's she's you know, but she's leaving. <laughs> like, what the hell? It was tough. It was tough. <laughs> it was tough for both of us because I had never lived in like a city where I didn't have, you know, Somebody, friends, yeah. you know, yeah. like I've... I didn't know anybody other than the person I was living with. Yeah. So, yeah. That was tough. How but... was, how, how was that during like, cause you met Mike, um, who's wonderful Yes. Not long <laughs> after your divorce. So can you I know. Can crazy. we like can you give us details about that? And like everything moved really quickly and I remember being nervous, like Yeah. Shit. Like she just got out of this marriage and is she rebounding? Like what's happening? Right. But No, you, rightfully so. Yeah. Like, but that's that that's did that was not the case. Friend. Like it was yeah. <laughs> totally like what the universe and God had waiting for you. Like mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. it seemed like. It did, it did. I think So basically, Mike was, it was just so random. I was at the time, you know, processing and going through this divorce, and it was very much in the early stages. I had been posting a lot on social media, specifically Instagram, kind of just reaching out and just finding other people who had been through similar experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think it was one post that I had posted where I was saying like, it was just so comforting to find other women who had gone through this process and other women my age, you know, not being too old, like I was 30 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, and going through this divorce, like it was just, it was nice to, that I was connected to other women who had been through the same thing. Right. And Mike had commented on one of the posts and was like, well, just so you know, you have a few male followers too that have been through the same thing. Game. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I I love it. It's like, oh, that's wonderful. It's good to know. And this was crazy. So you remember when we went to Baton Rouge for your talk at Southern University together? Yeah. yeah. So when we were there and we were in Louisiana, right. <laughs> but in Baton Rouge, right. um, I'd been thinking about like New Orleans and like how it was like, I wish we had had time to go, but it was like so far away. We couldn't drive there or whatever. Right. So the day after we got back from Baton Rouge, Mike had hit me up in the DMs. <laughs> <laughs> he slid in the DMs. Gotta love and... the DMs. That's how I met he my husband like, in the oh. DMs. <laughs> <laughs> he was 
like, oh, do you want to um, meet up for coffee sometime? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm moving. I'm in the process of moving to New Orleans. So moving to Louisiana. Right. Um, in four days. But I would love it if we could meet up for coffee. I remember and, this. Yeah. Yes. And he came with all the disclaimers, like just as friends. I'm not trying to. I know you're going through something and it's very, very recent and too soon for all that. So I'm just letting you know it's just as friends. Like, but I, I just want to know you and I want yeah. you to know I am alive and that right. I want to be your man, but not right now (laughs) not yet not yet so I think I switched it to like drinks (laughs) and we went out and I mean we had a blast and it wasn't it didn't feel necessarily romantic but it felt like wow we have a connection like we have like this really deep connection we have a lot of things in common and I guess visually looking at us, you wouldn't think we had so much in common, but we did. It was just this very similar sense of humor, this like, you know, way of viewing the world, just our experiences with our divorces. Like it was just, it was really refreshing to like talk to somebody that just like that got it yeah. and had been through it and had like come out the other side. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I could be like this, you know, yeah. after all this happens. Right. Yeah. So after that first meetup, basically we met every subsequent day until he left. <laughs> and then we haven't, there hasn't been a day since that we haven't talked to each other, which is very strange to say, like we, we have not, not spoken to each other, like ever since then. That's me. And I mean, but that's, you know, I feel that because how yeah. was me and Ryan, like <laughs> it went down in the DMs then it went off the DMs and then it was every single day and we're four years in now you know and like like when you know you know and when it feels right Mm -hmm. there's no escape there's no hiding like when it feels right it's it's (laughs) right and like that made me really happy too I was nervous at first I'm like "Mm, like, I know what is going (laughs) on here um and then you're like I'm moving to New Orleans and I was like with who like what it's like are you sure like are we are we doing this and then once I met Mike, I fell in love with him, too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's Aww. totally Denicio's uh, wave. And and he yes. was sweet to you. And he looked at you in a way that mm. your ex-husband, I never witnessed your ex-husband look at you. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. I mean, even now, like, Mike just looks at you like, oh, my God, <laughs> she's a goddess. And, <laughs> and you guys have fun together and... I'm just we really do. happy that we both like found love through our heartbreak yes, with two yes. really wonderful men. So to piggyback off of that, um, you guys are now in New Orleans. You've been there for what, two years now? Yes, it'll be three years this August. That's so crazy. That went by fast. I know. How is it being in an interracial relationship in New Orleans? <laughs> being, you are super pro-black. And I would say Mike is pretty pro-black, too, um, for a white man. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah, yeah, he yeah. honors you and respects respects your culture, and he's not unaware. You know, like, Absolutely. he's woke. <laughs> but how is that for you, being with a white man now in a place that's highly segregated? We've talked about this. And also, being you work in a very black feminist space, right? So yeah. How yeah. do you navigate that with a white partner? And we've talked about this a little bit, but I kind of want to give the audience um, some more insight on this just in case there's a woman out there or a man out there in the same position as you. Absolutely. 
I think I think I navigate it as carefully as possible mm. and with the most like respect possible. Okay. I think I I have to constantly it's being with somebody of a different race and this is my first interracial relationship so Right. And you yeah. guys are married now so it's like Yeah. Yeah. I think I I constantly have to check myself. It's a series of constantly just checking and kind of being aware of the spaces that I inhabit mm. and that we inhabit together mm-hmm. and being aware of our respective privileges. Mm. I think what led me to be okay with dating outside of my race, because to be, if I'm being completely honest, yes. I was, you know, there was a time that I wasn't mm-hmm. and it just was not on the table at all. Mm-hmm. I think being friends with Mike first and getting to know him as a friend and him just becoming like my best friend. There's this article that I read by a black woman who was, in a interracial relationship with a white man. Mm -hmm. And I think she kind of explained it in a way that made sense to me and kind of clicked for me in that there's always going to be some dynamic in a relationship. And for me as a queer woman, whether I'm with, you know, an Asian woman who doesn't necessarily fully understand my blackness Mm -hmm. or with a black American woman who doesn't fully understand my African culture, Mm. or if I'm, you know, with a black man who doesn't necessarily understand my identifying, you know, as a queer femme woman, there's always going to be some, some sort of like privilege play in there Mm -hmm. um, on either side. And I think you just have to like weigh, you know, it's kind of like a scale. It's the balancing. It's the weighing with the good with the bad or the good with the, you know, tough. Right, right. And so not to say that it's just, you know, a, a walk in the park and just like super easy because we do have difficult conversations. Yeah. But I think being with a partner who's not only willing to have those difficult conversations, mm-hmm. but isn't trying to challenge all the time and oh, is yeah. and is so open to listening and, you know, just even just listening and being able to take away from that, like, well, I don't, I don't know this, but I'm willing to listen. I don't necessarily understand where you're coming from in this situation, but I see that it is upsetting to you or that, you know, this is, you know, upsetting to to other people. Right, right, right. I think that's important. Right. But that's not to say that, like, it's not, you know, it's not something that we work on, but it's not any different than any other aspect of relationship that we would have to constantly work on. And I do, you know, everybody says that about their partner, but I do happen to be very lucky to be with a man who is very, very, like, emotionally stable and also just aware of his emotions and is able to express himself very easily. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it kind of easy to be in an interracial relationship with respect to, like, living in New Orleans. Yeah. I think it was something we both didn't expect, you know? Yeah. I didn't know too much about the city. Um, prior to moving, you see things on TV, you know, a little bit about it. Um, I'd been a few times prior to the decision to like move. Right. It's tough. It's tough. It's, it's, there's definitely a lot of tension in the way that it's not in like DC and Maryland because there's so much gentrification happening, especially post Katrina, a lot of people coming in, a lot of disaster capitalism. Yeah. You know, a lot of displacement of black people in neighborhoods that used to be autonomously black. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, it's just constantly recognizing our role as transplants and trying to, in some way, you know, give back to the, to the communities that we're taking space in Yeah. and just realizing that we're taking up space, you know, 
Mike's presence in, you know, a predominantly black neighborhood, which is where we live now, right. whether I, you know, I can sugarcoat it as much as I want to, but it's gentrification, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and we are gentrifying a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think just being able to acknowledge those things. And again, it just goes back to being respectful and, you know, being aware and constantly kind of checking in and checking ourselves and checking our privilege. Yeah. It's not fun, but it's a process. And if you actually care about the movement and just black people in general, like you have, that's what you have to do. Right. And it's, it's a bitter pill to take, but yeah. you know, it's, it's life, Yeah. but I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I, I have an amazing partner who listens to me and encourages me and thinks I'm, you know, everything. And I've never had that before with mm-hmm. anybody of any race or gender. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, well, one last thing before we wrap up, I mm-hmm. want to ask you your top five self-care tips as mm. you continue to navigate through your healing and your art and your marriage and your relationships. What are your top five self-care tips for our listeners one I would say respect the process whether you're going through something um you're you know literally have like a project with like that's a process like respect the process be patient with it don't rush things um two I would say listen to your body Mm -hmm. um your intuition is an amazing thing and American culture kind of prides this idea of just, you know, nose to the grindstone, working all the time. You know, I, you know, I didn't sleep last night. I, you know, slept only one hour last night. And so, you know, obviously because I'm working so hard and stressing myself out so much, I'm going to get there. Like, <laughs> not healthy. Not healthy. Like, <laughs> listen to yourself. If you need to take a break, take a break. Yes. If you're falling asleep in front of the sewing machine, go to sleep. Yep. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> um... <laughs> I would say number three would be therapy, therapy, therapy. That is like a big one for me. Black people, especially, we have the stigma when it comes to mental illnesses and specifically like depression, especially, you know, black community, African community a lot. There, there are resources out there for people who, you know, don't have insurance, you know, are worried about the price of therapy. Mm -hmm. There are so many resources out there that you can find, you know, Google is your friend to find find a therapist that will either work with you on a payment plan or even some pro bono work. Yeah. It's something that I feel like is it's not just self-care like it's it's almost like it's saving your life. Yeah. Like it literally therapy literally saved my life. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Yes, <laughs> that is it. That is it. Um number 4 would be for me personally and I I feel like a lot of people could relate to this cooking a really good meal cooking a really beautiful home cooked meal Just to interject here Denise taught yes. me how to cook so <laughs> shout out to her <laughs> You've like surpassed me now in the fanciness I saw some something the other day I was like oh girl like <laughs> oh my goodness I'm just I'm so proud I'm over here being proud mama <laughs> But yeah, there's something about the process of like making food and making a meal for yourself that feels very special and intimate and just the ultimate kind of self-care, you know, ritual. Um, When I'm really stressed out or I'm upset, like I cook and it's something that I can do for myself. I can do for other people to show them I love them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I would say 
a meal. And then number five is something that I'm kind of realizing kind of recently with, you know, talking with other friends about this, you know, whole self-care movement and stuff is just being aware of when sometimes working can be a form of self-care because I think for me and my depression and like suffering with depression, I think sometimes I get very wrapped up in this idea that I need to kind of retreat Mm. and lay down and be in bed and kind of have the covers over my head. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay that I'm doing that because that's self-care. Right. But kind of, and that's fine. You know, that's sometimes you need that, but then sometimes it's good to kind of get up and get you know active, do get something. out mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. work on something write something you know sketch something um so sometimes that productivity can actually be a form of self-care and just keeping your mind busy and also keeping yourself in the present moment yeah and being aware of that because i think present moment and kind of awareness of that is a way of kind of getting your mind out of that you know mind projected future and past and thinking yeah. of all these things that don't ultimately affect your present moment right Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Thank you for like asking me to be a part of this. I'm so excited about this new endeavor. Like this is amazing. I'm so excited too. So um, I'll let you, I'll let you go. Um, But before I do that, let the people know where they can find you on the internet. On the internet. Um, You can find me (laughs) on Instagram. uh, My full name, Denisio Truitt at Denisio Truitt. Um, my company's name is Dope Society. You can find that at dopesiety.com, D-O-P-E-C-I-E-T-Y.com. Um, yeah, just, I'm just on there. Most of my handles are just my first and last name because I'm not creative at all so. <laughs> <laughs> with names. And you have the best name, so it's fine. Okay, <laughs> sis, you. I'm gonna let you go. It was good talking okay. to you. Great talking to you too. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Hey Girl is a member of the District Productive Network, produced by Jamie Benson and me, Alex L. Music provided by DC's own Kokai. Kokai.